Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. It's the KSL Greenhouse. Expert tips for flowers, trees, gardens, and soil. Our hosts are Maria Chaleos and Ton Bettis on KSL News Radio. Good morning, and thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Phone lines are open. Number to call 801 575 8255. You can also text us at 57500. Wanted to start out the 10 o'clock hour and talk about. Weed management, since I don't know about your yard, but my yard has been taken over in the last week. It seems like it would get hot and like the weeds would not grow. But no, they do so well, Ton. No, there's spring weeds and there's summer weeds and there's fall weeds. Always something to grow. They are a certainty. Yes. So right now in my garden, redroot pigweed and prostrate pigweed are taking over. And I've been out with a gardening hoe twice a week. Just knocking them down and, you know, you always miss one or two. And mm-hmm. But for me, on weed control in an established garden, it's staying on top of things, which is hard, but also the most effective way to keep the weeds out. I had to look up pigweed to see what it looks like. No, nope, that's not the one that I have problems with right now. No, you probably have problems with purslane, mm-hmm. which spurge. is a succulent, uh, mm-hmm. the creeping spurge. Yes. Prostrate spurge is another name for it, is another really problematic one. So how do we stay on top of this? Well, I think the use of mulch will knock a lot of these back. And so if you have grass clippings, that's the cheapest mulch you can get because it's free. I don't like free. the way that looks. But it is effective. And especially in a vegetable garden. Yes. Yeah. And okay. so in your vegetable garden, it will add organic matter when you work it into the soil. But they're very effective, especially two to three inches, at keeping the weeds from germinating. And so if you have that, you'll eliminate about 70 to 80% of the weeding. And you'll just have to take care of the weeds that are growing right around the base of your vegetable plants. So that would be one way, and I think the best way, to just to use a mulch of some sort. Mm-hmm. You can use bark mulch. A lot of people use black plastic, which is fine. I've used black pas- plastic for several years, and it does a pretty good job of keeping weeds down also. So what about using things like preen? 
preen is fine. Do it, that in the spring. Yeah, in the spring. And it depending on your soil type, it may need to be reapplied about every six weeks. And so you really need to look because... So you in, still need the mulch. You do or else you need to reapply the preen. Mm-hmm. So that's about the only pre-emergent out there registered for garden use. There is one that's organic called corn gluten meal. Iowa State loves the stuff. They did some research showing that Mm. it's effective. Oregon State did research on it saying it's worthless. And so (laughs) you can (laughs) take your pick and it might be (laughs) that it was effective against the set of species of weeds in the Iowa research. And it wasn't in the Oregon research. And so it is 10% nitrogen. So it will add some nitrogen to your soil, but people that I've talked to that have had success say that the corn gluten mill is effective for three, two or three weeks. And so you have to time it well so that you can get the weeds you're going after. So maybe the most effective is like putting the preen down in the early in the season, then putting the mulch down. You actually that. want to put the preen on top of the, the mulch, mulch? because See, if preen gets buried under mulch, it will vape the vapors from it will work its way into the soil and cause a condition called club root that will... It's a good thing I don't have a lot of time yes. to be doing these things. And so this, I've seen this several times to where people have put preen down and then put plastic cover or even several inches of bark mulch. Mm-hmm. And on their newly transplanted tomatoes and peppers and squash, none of, they just sit there and kind of turn yellow. And then you dig them up and the roots will have a distorted look and there won't be very many of them. I'm sticking with the mulch. But (laughs) that's how preen and other pre-emergent products work is they prevent rooting. And so if they, if the, as they off gas, if that can't escape into the atmosphere and stays in the soil, Mm -hmm. it can actually harm plants. Right. So before you put the mulch down, you're going to want to. You know, at least dig the garden a little bit and pull the weeds. Yes, pull the weeds out, get it all set, put the mulch down. Now, there, I'm staying away from a lot of chemicals besides maybe pre-emergent because you just don't want to be spraying Roundup and things in your garden mm-hmm. as you're trying to grow things. And so checking the garden once or twice a week and just hand-pulling or getting a gardening hoe out or something along those lines, a winged weeder, you know, those are going to be the things, but it's consistency. And that's where people who are too busy run into trouble. Yes, they do, because my garden through August oftentimes gets away from me. Mm-hmm. And there's, you I know, start out really yes. well. You know, things, you know, you prepare the soil before you're going to plant, so everything looks really nice, and you plant it, and they're really good for a month, and then you get to July, and you go, <sighs> weeds. It is frustrating. So we, we have our fact sheet that Michelle's posted for us, and there's no miracle cures for weeds listed in it, but it does give you a step-by-step on things you can look at. I, I will say, completely off topic, I've planted tomatoes twice and had windstorms take out half of them after I planted. I My yeah. cherry tomatoes, I, I usually stake them up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I looked at them and said, you know, I need to stake those. And I was going to do it the next day. And we got a microburst in about midnight and it knocked four of them over. Broke them. And it's too late to start over. So I'm. Do you want me to give you back some of the plants? No. 
<laughs> no, I'm just, we, I still have plenty of tomatoes, but uh, it's one of those things when you get that bug in your ear saying you need to do something. You need to do you it You better now. do it immediately. Right. Okay. So that fact sheet on how to manage weeds in your garden is now up on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. If you're coming back with your calls and questions, the phone lines are open. You can call us now at 801-575-8255 or text your questions at 57500. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Morning. Thanks for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Anton with you, taking your calls, 801-575-8255. You can also text us your questions at 57500. Next listener, well, let's go to Patrick in Riverton. Patrick's on the line. Good morning, Patrick. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Yeah, what was your question? So I have two, and I'll try to be quick about it. I have a sycamore tree, a London plane tree that I planted about 10 years ago. Um, I know that they have issues with anthracnose. I'm wondering if this is it. Uh, it's been pretty healthy, but this year it really didn't leaf out at all. It has some growth at the bottom of the base of the tree, um, but it does seem to be kind of leafing out now. I don't know if it's too late for it actually to be second growth or what, but I'm wondering if this is the kind of thing where it's done and I should replace it or if there's something I could do for it. The anthracnose, you will notice it in the leaves because you'll have cankers or like wounds on the leaves near the the midrib and the other major veins in the leaf. And what will happen over time is that the initial flush of growth tries to come out and then it is killed off. And then it'll send a second flush of growth in late June or early July and looks a little better. There's also a sycamore plant bug that causes problems. And we've been finding some spider mites and things, but One other thing with sycamore this year is that I think due to the really hot weather last fall when we were mid-September, late September, I think it was mid-September, is still 105 degrees. And then a month later, we were below freezing. Sycamore take a long time to go dormant. And they were winter damaged. And we're seeing this across the Wasatch Front to where a lot of the trunk and limbs never leafed out. And if they are, it's really late and you're starting to see the new growth at the base from areas that weren't um, damaged. And so I think right now you're probably seeing the impacts of the winter damage from last year. Sycamores over the last 10 or 15 years have just been taking it on the nose with problem after problem. Historically, they've been a great tree, but it's just one that I see more often than not struggles. And so what to do about it? I'm going to leave that up to you. You could leave it in another year and see if it recovers. But it just, I've been seeing more problems with sycamores, especially the last four or five years than I ever have. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard about those. It, it was really healthy last year, but it, it, it just didn't come out this spring. And so, so it's I think... probably winter damage. Okay. All right. Um, I'll, I'll talk to my wife about that and maybe we'll replace it. The other question I had was I have two um, honeysuckles that I planted four or five years ago as kind of a, a shade 
situation on the west side of our house, and they come out the this year and last year they've come out really strong and looking really healthy. Um, they go through the uh, blooming phase; they're just coming out now, and then the like the center of them really thin out with the leaves and stuff. They look really unhealthy. So this spring I added some fertilizer to it and to see if that helped it stay uh, healthy throughout the summer, but it's just not been the case. Is there something wrong with the plant or is there something? I think they're also kind of shaded because of the, the deck there the, during the middle of the day. I mean, they're shaded because they're, they are under a covered patio or next to a covered patio. And I think that they don't get sun during the, the middle of the day. I don't know if that's bad for them or what, but um, is it a, is this, this, could that be a water issue or a uh, food issue for them? Well, it, could be a winter damage issue. It could also be a disease called powdery mildew on sections. I, that's something I would look up just to make sure that that isn't the problem. But I, with the honeysuckles, it's funny because I usually they thrive, but you get a certain percentage that just don't. And so they require six hours of direct sunlight a day to really thrive. Eight's even better. But... If it's cool and cooler, you know, during part of the day, if they're getting a lot of overhead water hitting them, that could impact them. But it's something that with the look of the plant, you may need to bring a sample into your extension office in Salt Lake if you're up that way and let them take a look at the sample to see if they can find anything. But sunny, it could also be aphids. The leaves would be sticky and curled if it were aphids. Yeah, I don't see aphids. I don't think it's powdery mildew either. I I'm, I assume that I would see it pretty much at all yeah, times if that were present. I wish I had better news. I mean, it could be a root disease affecting that, but you may just need to take it out and plant something different to see if it does better. Okay. All right. Well, that's good enough. I appreciate the information. All right, Patrick. Thanks for your call this morning. Next listener, Ton, says that they saw jacaranda trees in bloom last month in L.A. Love them. Uh, these are They are gorgeous. I saw them in Europe. Uh, pretty, really vibrant violet flowers. Really amazing. But they're wondering if they can plant this tree in West Valley. No, unfortunately, it won't overwinter. They are hardy down to maybe 20 degrees, 25 degrees. And so they're just one... That doesn't work well here. It's like the bougainvillea. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Next listener says they have an apricot tree that the leaves on the lower branches are withering up. Um, they cleaned them up. Um, now the leaves on the entire tree are withering up. I guess they had cut off some of those bottom ones and uh, hand put some alcohol on them or something before cutting them off. They're afraid the tree is lost. How will they know if this tree has had it now? If it doesn't try to relief it may be lost. I mean, we have been seeing a lot of damage in stone fruits this year due to the previous winter weather. We're going from the 100-degree temperatures down to below freezing in a month. A lot of the stone fruits take a long time to go completely dormant. Mm -hmm. You know, they might re need six or eight weeks in total. And because of that shortened fall season we had, it has just damaged a lot of trees. You know, we just talked to the previous listener about the sycamore. We've already talked to someone about a peach that has had this happen. And Sheridan, I've been talking to her all week about this. And it's been, it's not that it's driving us crazy, but we've never seen so much death 
in stone fruits before, and I think it's due to that really bad yeah. weather. They're a little bit confused about it because they have another apricot, a different variety, though, right next to it that's not affected. And there are cold, hardy apricots that may go dormant more quickly. Ah. One of the reasons we grow Chinese apricot, sometimes it's called Mormon apricot, is that it's cold, hardy, it blooms a little later, and it may go dormant a little bit more quickly than others. And so a lot of it could depend on just exposure and things to winds and things. But they do need to check the one that's dying for greater peach tree borer. And that I would just look up the fact sheet, but they'll see gumming around the base. We've had another disease called Cytospora that has caused a lot of gumming on the trunks and lower limbs. It's causing a lot of damage. Will that jump to the other tree? It may. It's spread by mainly splashing water, but also can be spread by insects. And so when you prune, you know, you want to sterilize your pruners if you've been working in trees with Cytospora between each cut to make sure that you don't spread it from branch to branch. And how do they decide if the tree is just not going to make it? Give it until the spring, and if it doesn't leaf out, then unfortunately it's firewood and... Oh. All right, we're going to take a break for the bottom of the hour news. When we come back, Eva, your call is up next on the phone lines. You can give us a call, 801-575-8255, or text us, 57500. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.